Welcome, welcome, welcome for your location for Sacramento King's immiseration. This is the Purple and Black Pill. Hello, friends. I'm Ty Foster. You know me. I've been a Kings fan since I was five. With me, my best friend since that time, Duncan Smith. Hey, Dunk. Is that a word, immiseration? If it is, I gotta write it down. It is. Get to writing, baby. Okay, tight. We're learning here today. I can use that. This isn't just sports. This is uh, the 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 humanities, baby. <laughs> so we are now officially on the other side of the all-star break. I don't know if you caught any of the all-star game, did you? Just in highlights, I, I saw a lot of like logo shots on Instagram and Steph and CP3 dunking. And, you know, it, it, that's kind of all I need from that game. Definitely. I watched the whole thing for some reason. And God, what a what a pointless charade that whole thing was. I'm sure I'll feel 100% different when there's finally a king in that game but yeah maybe but probably not like i don't want to poo poo the whole thing because like you said watching steph and dame shoot from half court is fun i mean that's just like a fact of life if you like basketball it's fun to watch those guys do their thing but first of all the competitive balance was not very good you knew that when you saw the team break down and you're like oh Giannis and luca and dame and steph and lebron hmm but beyond that it's just like the day before Embiid and Simmons were disqualified because they got their haircut by a guy who may have been exposed to COVID or something. And you're just like, this is exactly what De'Aaron Fox and LeBron and many other big stars were talking about in the run up to this game, which is like, uh, what is the point of doing this? Like, why, why are we subjecting ourselves to this when we are talking out of one side of our mouth about how this is a really serious problem? that we're, you know, doing everything we can to mitigate, speaking of COVID risk, and then put all of the best players in one place in like one of the highest risk cities in the country. Uh, I don't really know. Right. Yeah, it it does kind of seem like it's trying to have it both ways when there was criticism of LeBron for, you know, poo-pooing having the All-Star game at all. And then now there's criticism of LeBron for dragging his feet about saying, I'm definitely going to get a vaccine it you know not to get like to cnn on everybody and i wish that he had just said i'm going to get the vaccine so it's not that i'm anti-vax but it just is funny to to see people be like well we definitely want you out there traveling across the country going through airports exposing yourself to the risk of this thing we definitely want you to do it for an unimportant exhibition game but also the sanctity of life is is so high and how dare you talk about the vaccine as if it's your family decision rather than the public's decision i mean what the fuck do we want out of these people like i'm so confused not just athletes but celebrities in general like what is it exactly that we need that we're not getting from lebron james i do not understand this 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 kind of scrutiny that that's that you're referring to like so he needs to keep quiet about certain things but he needs to speak up about certain things but if he speaks up and he's ill-informed then he's a fucking pariah like dude just live your own life like leave these fucking people alone <laughs> yeah it's not like i'm walking up to people at Seven Eleven and being like so you're getting the vaccine as soon as you possibly can right yeah, I do not I do not need LeBron James's input on the vaccine. He has every right to say whatever the fuck he wants, of course, but like I do not need this constant 
cycle of scapegoating and idealizing that happens with these celebrities at this level. It's just completely mystifying to me. Anyway, to your point that no kings were involved, Buddy very wisely did not go back to defend his three-point title because, of course, Stephen Curry uh, was a shoe-in. Right. And <laughs> that, that bore out. Yeah, don't do that. Don't, don't compete in a three-point contest with Steph Curry. And the biggest example of the perfunctory and pointless nature of this whole thing this year was the dunk contest, which was such a bummer. I especially tuned in for that because I am always a fan of the dunk contest, even if it's a total joke. But there were three dudes who mainly missed very average attempts <laughs> and, then, and then just kind of like called it a day. The whole thing just felt very like everybody was kind of fulfilling a contractual obligation. I wonder, was Anthony Simons one of those guys that you were disappointed in his performance? Because I saw some of, again, just clips on Instagram and like six seconds of him rising up and doing the most basic dunk. And I was like, dang, that is impressive. It, it was like he was 17 a year ago and now he looks like he's 25 and just a real big boy. Well, this is why I like dunk contests is because it wasn't like, uh, you know, I'm not taking anything away from those three guys. They're all three amazing athletes and great dunkers. But like his main dunk was just let me jump as high as I possibly can and almost kiss the rim, but not quite. And so it was just it was like it was really impressive athletically. But you're just like this whole thing just needs more time in the oven. Like this is none of this is baked. None of these concept are, <laughs> concepts are done. Yeah, that that may be the difference between watching a hour-long dunk contest that is supposed to have like emotional highs and lows versus watching a three and a half second clip on instagram because on instagram i was like wow that was impressive well and that speaks to the success of nba top shot doesn't it <laughs> yeah i don't i don't want to speak to the success of nba top shot because even though i've had it explained to me several times i'm still like but why we are not financial advisors, so we cannot comment on the efficacy of Top Shot, whether you should buy into that market or not. I don't understand what money is at all. Yeah, this is not a this is not a I do not have a fiduciary responsibility. I just hate the shot. Fair. Uh, moving on. We recorded last week's episode before we had our somewhat typical loss to Portland, 123-119. So we wanted to cover that real quick. Portland was playing without their second best player, CJ McCollum, without their, I don't know what he is at this point, fifth best player, Zach Collins. Without their third best player, Yusuf Nurkic, right? Oh, right. I didn't even chart that. So, you know, uh, not a great not a great situation. I think we're only missing Whiteside at this point. Some interesting things to take away, though. I mean, we didn't get our asses completely kicked. We played them relatively even throughout the game. I know that that's like a very, very small thing to celebrate, but I'll take what I can get as far as that goes. Yeah, same. It's, it's so much easier for me to accept tanking and losses when we're in it the whole game and then we just get beat by the best player at the end. We will circle back to that word tanking a little bit later in the episode. The familiar slings and arrows of this Kings team, Damian Lillard did exactly as he pleased, which he's going to do against anyone, but especially against us. He just ate us for dinner down the stretch. It looks like, you know, with no Halliburton, which is devastating for all kinds of reasons that we don't need to get into because we cover the baby baby boy. <laughs> At length here, Walton looks like he was pretty much at like a seven-man playoff rotation style situation. Corey Joseph and Belly were pretty much our only two guys off the bench. Corey Joseph with 30 minutes, Belly with 26, uh, Joseph was minus six, Belly plus two. 
Daquan Jeffries got, you know, a couple garbage time minutes, but that was pretty much it. You know, it's this gets back to my earlier point. I don't want to belabor this. I don't have too much to say as far as analysis on this. We're not good. We don't have enough good players. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Too few good players means that when anything goes wrong, like an injury to a rookie, all of a sudden your team barely looks like an NBA team anymore. Although that doesn't really apply here because they they were competitive with Portland, but it just it felt so inevitable that the game was going to slip away from us in exactly the way that it did because we can't defend particularly against talented guards because they both have an advantage on the perimeter against our poor rotations as well as an advantage penetrating against our smaller interior big rotation. So it is a problem. Defense is not good enough, even when we bring the energy that we did to this game. And I, and I thought their energy was fine. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say is that, you know, the silver lining here is Fox looked fantastic. 32, 8, and 12. He was minus five overall. But, you know, that speaks to kind of how, how even the game was. He's been, his plus minus has been a lot worse than that in recent times. But he was also really good. 21, 6, and 3. Great efficiency. 47% from the field. 42% from the three. That's what we expect. And that's what we need out of him. The energy and the competitiveness was there. It's just a, it's just a talent problem. This is just not a good team. I, you know, I don't think that we need to belabor it too much. There's nothing new to say, really, uh, except that I'm not like pissed off about this game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there is one thing that I would throw out there, which is that De'Aaron Fox playing a great game. He had 32, 8, and 12, like you said, but he had 32 points on 26 shots, and Dame took the exact same amount of shots, and he had like 43. So, you know, what does that tell you? It's a big problem for De'Aaron that he's not a better high volume three point shooter. He's a downright bad free throw shooter for a guard. And his penetration is really impressive. And it's it's amazing that he can be even average efficiency with it. But he is average efficiency. He's he's like a 55 something true shooting percentage. And for your best player, for your star, for your alpha score, you just cannot win in the NBA when that guy is is average efficiency. Yep. Quickly, just to those numbers, Fox was uh, 6 of 10 from the free throw line. So again, that problem is not getting better. 2 of 6 from 3, whereas Dame was 8 of 15. You know, that is just an enormous difference. And that's not something I I know that we always want to reiterate the balance of this point. That's not something that I need or expect out of De'Aaron Fox this year. It is just a aspect of his development that we need to keep an eye on because if and when he does add a confident step back three in the Dame mold, we are going to be in a very, very different position in terms of his ceiling. Totally. Yeah, he, he's got time to grow. But in the meantime, when we look at his stats and we say, oh, wow, De'Aaron Fox had a great game. It is great to have 30 points, eight rebounds and 12 assists, but it has to be tempered by the fact that it wasn't done in a particularly efficient manner. And when you are dominating the ball on that level and you're not efficient, you're you're a below average team. So Absolutely. Moving on from that game, the other thing I wanted to discuss today, there was an article in The Athletic that was kind of diving into the Walton issue and just King's silly season rumors, things like that. Very, very interesting. Starting things out, the big news to take away from it, if this article is to be believed, is that Luke Walton is not going anywhere anytime soon, certainly not before the end of the year. Quote, sources with knowledge of the King's plans say Walton is not in any imminent trouble and barring a complete nosedive in the second half, which parenthetically 
what is a nosedive if not a nine-game losing streak, but whatever, is likely to last at least through the season. You know, they refer to McNair's overarching plan uh, viewing this season as, quote, a gap year, meaning essentially, you know, not expecting to win and probably leaning more towards tanking than not tanking would be my interpretation of that. Listeners of this show will be well familiar with the fact that I am in a big hurry to get Walton out of there immediately, but it seems that the franchise is at the very least open to him finishing the season because both a I think the largest motivation is that they again just like with George Carl don't want to pay multiple coaches on guaranteed contracts at once and b I think frankly McNair might see this as an opportunity to get the worst record that he possibly can this year and land the the blue chip prize he wants in the draft what do you think yeah I mean to the first point about Walton I think that there's no real upside to them signaling that he is already one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel. So I wouldn't expect anybody to say, even behind the scenes, even leaking information, I wouldn't expect anybody to say, yeah, we're going to fire him any day now. It was the same thing with, with Vlade, with Jaeger, with the DeMarcus Cousins exit. You know, All of these people are, are part of the long-term plan until the very second that they're fired. So there's that. But I also think that it's pretty rational that they would just keep Luke around. I I don't want them to. I, you know, emotionally, selfishly, I want to watch his face when he gets the news mid-game. But rationally, the point of the season isn't really to improve. And ending the season on a high note or whatever is fool's gold. We've all seen this team miss the playoffs way too many times to fall for that. So I think it, it makes sense for them to pick their next coach when they have the biggest set of options, which will be during the offseason. And an interim coach is necessary if he stops, if Walton stops being professional at all, which means not following Monty's directives. If Monty's directive is, hey, you need to develop the young guys and stop playing Corey Joseph, whatever the standard is, that that's kind of when I think it happens is when he becomes a toxic presence to the locker room because he's actively going against the long-term plans of, of management. My objective with this show and just in general in my relationship with this team is to orient my perspective in the way that is the most beneficial towards my mental health while maintaining my relationship with this, you know, unforgivable obsession that I have with this team. And given that, to your point, I think that I am perfectly capable of reorienting my relationship with Walton's problems, so to speak, as a coach for the rest of this season, as this is just another kind of character in this circus and I don't need things to go any type of way this year. I'm now fully in the let's grab one of these ultra elite blue chippers from the top 10 of this draft and just see where the chips fall. Let Monty take his time. I don't need to have my every whim indulged as a fan, which is to say I don't need Walton to go right now just because that's what I would most like to see in terms of the encore product. So I get it. I am a little bit like I'm a little bit cynical about these types of media machines sort of running. I do read an article like this and like the Walton article we quoted a couple weeks ago with a little bit of a jaundiced eye, like, okay, so this is just kind of the PR staff and the staff of The Athletic working together to churn out some content that we can all make podcasts about. So it feels a little bit uh, kind of company man information pushing. 
but you know, whatever. I was encouraged at the very least to see um, one thing that they really emphasized in this article is that Vivek is not going to be meddling. He's not going to be making his presence known. It, the impression that the article creates is that if it were up to Vivek, maybe Walton would be out. But uh, Mani just wants to stay the course and Vivek will stay with that. Look, I'll, I'll take that as a, as a positive if that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I've been a little less fearful of the boogeyman version of Vivek where he's constantly making decisions that he shouldn't be involved in because... One, I think the owner of any business is going to make big, big decisions or at least be a tie-breaking vote on on big decisions. So it's just unrealistic to expect a person to invest hundreds of millions of dollars in a business and then be like, okay, have fun with it. Um, (laughs) But on top of that, the really, truly abhorrent decision that we've made in the last 10 years, a lot of them seem to have been him trusting people a little too much, you know, like not picking Luca obviously is the most recent really horrifying one and I've never heard any reporting that suggested that that was Vivek overruling Vlade or Brandon Williams or any of the other characters who I have heard linked to the decision about Bagley over Luca so I don't know in a world where that kind of decision is possible without uh Vivek calling the shot I'm not really worried about what shots he does call. He did the right thing firing Vlade, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to have hired a responsible human being in Monty. And, you know, his mistake with hiring Pete was a pretty rough one, but also, like, he was brand new. So I, I don't I don't know. It, it just doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me if he's somewhat slightly involved, but also lets the basketball decision makers have the final say or persuade him. I think that's fair. You know, I mean, it is what it is at this point, right? Like the, 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 we're all frustrated with calls for more patience, but what do you want? This team's not good enough. You know, we can analyze how how the defense is bad forever and ever, you know, and stomp, stamp our feet and act like we deserve something else. But this is what it is. And I, I do see the outlines of a really exciting future if we do land a good pick here. So whatever, just, uh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, there's there's no light switch to be flipped no matter what. And to the extent that drafting Cade is one, it seems to me like they're pretty clearly putting themselves in a position to, to have a, as good of a chance as anybody to do that. And as good of a chance as anybody means worst record in the league and 14% chance. So we can't really be disappointed if they're, you know, the second or third worst and they have an 11% chance versus a 14%. Ch- you know, it's just like they're either going to get them or they aren't. And the likelihood is that they're not going to no matter what. So, you know, let's not get married to the idea that we're getting this or that draft pick. And the good news is that by all accounts, this draft is both extremely good ex- at the at the top level, extremely deep and uh, extremely wing rich. So, you know, we're going to have options even if we don't land with the number one pick, ideally. So, you know, I'll I'll take what I can get. Like I said, there were a couple of interesting, not trade rumors exactly, but trade rumor tidbits. Quote, rival executives say Bagley III is up for discussions and trade talks, but interest in him is widely seen as minimal because of his struggles these past two seasons. It wouldn't shock me at all to see him go, but I don't understand how other teams are supposed to have a sense of what he's worth. Yeah, it seems pointless to me to move him when he's clearly still... You know, say what you will about what you think his ceiling is based on his defensive IQ or any other number of issues that he has. But I think it's clear that he's still improving, like he is getting better. So to cut bait on him early would be 
a smart move only if you're bringing back a better player and that just seems so unlikely to me because he's he's kind of damaged goods at this point so yeah i could see him being included in a larger package where we trade a a larger contract like healed we add a interesting prospect like bagley and a top five pick and then all of a sudden we're in the hunt for an all-star carl anthony towns or some shit like that not not really but something like that I think it's possible, but it just doesn't seem likely that we're going to unload him for the eighth overall pick or something like that. And that type of deal, if it happens, is going to happen in the offseason. I think I don't see any reason why they why they or their prospective partner would do that in the middle of the season. Yeah, totally. There's no reason for anybody to do that until they know what they're sending back. This piece also touched on the mystery of Nemanja Bielitsa. No surprises here, but it was interesting and um, I thought informative to see it laid out this way. Quote, When the Kings made it a priority to start Bagley at the start of the season, sources say the veteran who lost his starting spot, 32-year-old forward Nemanja Bielitsa, was incensed at the idea that he'd been supplanted simply because he wasn't part of the long-term plan. Sources say Bielitsa chose not to play from January 9th until his return to the rotation on February 12th, in large part because of his strong disagreement with the decision and the reasons behind it. On the official record, the reasons given for Bielitsa's absences ranged from DNPCD to back spasms to personal reasons. He is likely to be traded before the March 25th trade deadline, and they list potential suitors who are Philly, Miami, Golden State, Milwaukee, Boston, you know, the teams that you would expect to be trying to improve marginally with a player like Bielitsa. Yeah, I, you know, I love Belly. I love what he's done for this team, but I can't agree with him on on that position. It's just silly. Like, you're a below average starter. You're not contributing to the long-term development of this team you should accept a role as a backup. And there would have been plenty of minutes for him. We saw how difficult it was for Harrison Barnes to both be the starting small forward and the only person that could play backup power forward in the time before Hassan Whiteside came back. And, you know, that added some opportunities in the big rotation, but he would have been on the court. So it's just, it's disappointing to me to hear that. I, I don't think that Belly is wrong to think that he's earned the opportunity to play regular minutes in the NBA. But when you're a bad starter, you shouldn't expect to be handed that role on a silver platter. You know, you should expect other people to be coming for you. Yeah, and I think that it's somewhat encouraging for us as fans to see McNair sticking to his guns with that and allowing him to just sit out if he's unhappy. I think that that was the healthiest outcome there. And now look, everybody wins because we need Nemanja Bielitsa for 25 to 30 minutes a game until we trade him. <laughs> yeah, and you know, who know, maybe he saved himself some wear on the tires that'll allow him to play better for his next team coming down the stretch and in the playoffs, you know. Maybe he saved himself from an injury or whatever it is by missing those 25 games. So, it's fine. It didn't it didn't change the outcome of the season for us. I guess I just don't think that he really has a leg to stand on as like, you owe it to me to let me be the starter on this bad team in which I am a low end starter. It makes sense. He's a competitive guy for a living, but you know, it's not a reasonable position for an executive to be, you know, influenced by. Yeah. Uh, Just a couple more quick points before we go. I thought it was really interesting that they pointed out in this article, like sort of overtly, it felt to me almost like kind of saying the quiet part out loud that no fans in the arena makes a tanking style position a lot easier to pull off this year in particular. I, and I, I think that the discord that we have seen with the nine game losing streak, you know, the ability to roll with Walton without a tremendous amount of fan pressure in person is a unique situation this year. And we are seeing the result of that, obviously. Yeah. 
I mean, you're right, it is kind of quiet part loud, but at the same time, for hardcore fans, uh, for people that pay as close attention as we do, it kind of makes sense. Like, I, I agree with it. Like, yeah, this this is the time to tank, and I can see why it's a difficult thing for them to commit to that when they've got this brand new, super expensive arena downtown that you don't want to put the stink of a bunch of sad games onto the season ticket holders that make them think next season, like, do I need to renew my season tickets or should I wait until I see a legitimate path to the playoffs? So I kind of get it. And also to that point, the Kings apparently, they own like a bunch of the restaurants and hotels around like the Doco development that they put together. And so they've lost like over $100 million in the last year. And again, it makes sense why they would maybe not want to jettison Walton and pay him the exorbitant amount that he is due for this year. Uh, And, you know, I think two more after this, at least one more after this, if they're not getting anything out of that. I hope that that doesn't influence their thinking in the offseason. Obviously, I think he has to go in the offseason. But, you know, until then, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what we signed up for when we had our picket signs out and here we stay movement and all of that stuff. Like the only way to save this franchise in Sacramento was to build a new arena and make it flashy and integrate it into downtown the way that it was. And, you know, that's why the Kings stayed. So if you like the fact that the Kings stayed, you kind of have to accept the fact that the flip side of that coin is that they can't really afford to lose a bunch of money just for a lottery ticket at, you know, a Joel Embiid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the last thing in this piece is just a very, very minor footnote, but uh, it's something that I hadn't thought about, a bit of criticism for McNair that uh, I haven't really heard much, is that letting Baysmore go in this offseason, he ended up going to Golden State on a veteran minimum, looks pretty rough. We could really use his defense and his shooting this year. He's kind of exactly the guy that we have needed. And uh, letting him go in order to, you know, have the opportunity to sign Whiteside doesn't look great in retrospect. You know, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback this stuff, but I wish we had Baysmore on this team. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. If your season is is being decided by whether Kent Baysmore is on the roster, then you didn't even really need to play the games. Fair. Very fair. Uh, that's just about it for us. Wanted to note real quickly, I saw on Twitter just before we signed on that Kyle Guy and his uh, lady, I'm not sure if they're married or not, but his partner are going to be having a baby. So congrats to the Guy family. Congrats to the little shooter that's coming. Another guy. Probably going to be a pizza guy. Probably a pizza guy. Man, whoa. Kyle Guy really does need to become the pizza guy, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, that's a little too perfect. I mean, that baby probably should have the first name pizza, but... <laughs> Yeah, look, we've got nine months to lobby him. So that's it for us. No mailbag today. Please do uh, shoot us a mailbag, purpleandblackpill at gmail.com. That's purpleandblackpill at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter at purpleblackpill. We're hanging out. You know, it's the all-star break. We don't have a game until Thursday against the absolutely reeling Rockets. So if we can't put up a win there, let's start uh, crying at that point, I think. Yeah, tank soldiers on that's it for us friends have a great rest of the week we will talk to you soon bye